and welcome to the InVivo podcast. I'm David Wilde, the publication's pharma and biotech reporter. Today I'm speaking with Edwin Stone, CEO at Cellular Origins. Cellular Origins is a UK-based robotics company focused on creating scalable, cost-effective, and space-efficient manufacturing systems for cell and gene therapies. Edwin completed a PhD in robotic vehicles at the University of Cambridge and over the past decade has been focusing specifically on cell therapy manufacturing. He has helped develop 10 cell therapy automation systems, the first of which is now in operation. Edwin, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you. Great to be here, David. So usually we start off with a guest telling us a little bit about themselves. Can you tell us a bit about your own career trajectory and how um, Cellular Origins came to be as well? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So as you, as you touched upon, um, I, I did a PhD in robotic vehicles, which, which for me was um, was a chance to really get into to looking at multidisciplinary systems, and so um, went from that into life science automation, um, and so uh, spent the next ten years working on a whole range of life science automation systems. Um, a lot of those started to head towards um, cell-based workflows, so things like the automation of, of IVF, for example. Um, and and that really opened my eyes to the potential to kind of bring engineering and biology together in a way that I think it, it's still to this day, um, we've only just begun to exploit the benefits of doing that. Um, and back in 2014, um, had a chance to work on some of the early uh, cell therapies that were emerging around then and really recognised the gap between um, where the biology was and where the engineering was and particularly how that pertained to the ability to manufacture um, those therapies. Um, that, that led to that that journey for the um, best part of the last 10 years of getting deeper and deeper into that and being very fortunate to work on a number of automation systems. But um, increasingly became aware we were solving automation on a really point kind of basis um, and having the uh, systems that could automate parts of the workflow, but nothing really um, to create a full automation of the entire workflow. That, that was what led to the birth of, the, of Cellular Origins um, uh, around about three years ago now, and that's been my focus um, for the last few years of really trying to solve this problem of how we automate end-to-end cell therapy workflows. Got it. Um, maybe you can tell us a little bit about how things are currently done. I know man, there's a lot of manual work involved and potential for human error, I'm assuming, and inefficiency. Can you tell us a little bit about how things are currently done and what the deficiencies are and how robotics can address those deficiencies? Yeah, I mean, the, the punchline is exactly that one. Currently, it's lots and lots of people. Um, and, and not just that, but incredibly skilled people, um, very expensive people, um, and people that more often than not, didn't necessarily um, take the career path they took uh, wanting to be uh, manufacturing therapies. A lot of them are innovative biologists and they want to develop the therapies, but doing the same thing over and over again was not necessarily what they dreamed of when they were studying. Um, and of course, the, the headline that we all see is, is the cost of these people. Um, but, but that's really only just scratching the surface. Um, it's become increasingly clear over the last 12 months and um, this surfacing finally actually into the public psyche of of the barriers to access. Um, So putting cost to one side, even people that can afford them, even people on the waiting list for them are not getting the therapies because there's just not enough manufacturing capacity. There's not the buildings there, there's not the clean rooms there, but there's not the people there. Um, The training of these people 
um, is, is very intense. It's typically got six months of training. And yet the average tenure, for the reasons I touched on before, um, is often only 18 months. So you kind of get a third of training, two thirds actual work. Um, that, that, that's not a sustainable way to build an industry. Um, and it's leading to, to these barriers. And and the third piece of that beyond the cost and the availability of people is really down to um, the challenge we have that the humans are not the right way to make these things. They're, they're incredibly variable. Um, uh, and so at the moment, they are done almost as an artisanal process rather than um, a robust uh, manufacturing process. The potential for contamination is much higher with humans. I mean, in the same way we're seeing um, in robotic surgery, for example, the removal of humans greatly reduces the, the chance of uh, microbial contamination. Um, and the final one, which is it's difficult to talk about because no one doubts um, either the competence or the desire of people manufacturing these therapies to do it well, but humans make errors. Um, and uh, it's actually quite often that we, we haven't got great data on those errors because um, uh, not many people necessarily want to surface those. But um, we're, we, we're losing batches. Um, the people we talk to, um, our customers inevitably have got stories of where things went wrong. Um, and so it's critical that we remove that because at the end of the day, these are life-saving therapies and quite often they're the single chance a patient's got at survival. Um, a failure to produce that, fat, that, that batch, it can lead to a loss of life. And have you gathered any data kind of demonstrating the, the impact of your robotic system as a replacement for humans in the process? Yes, we worked really, really diligently, actually, well before we were, were even publicly talking about what we were doing to, to firstly really understand the bottlenecks. I think it's, it's easy to kind of assert that automation is um, is a holy grail. It's a um, it's a magic bullet that's going to fix everything. And I, I'm really passionate that it's not. Um, and we've got to really be mindful. Actually, people can do some things really, really well. And so we look really carefully at the process to understand um, exactly how we should um, how we should approach the automation. Um, the upshot of that is is we're able to achieve um, um, some real transformation. So um, we can get the number of people down by a factor of 16. Um, we can reduce the amount of space by a factor of 30. And all of that feeds through to um, we can reduce the, the cost to manufacture these therapies by over half. And so that's taken a, a $75,000 uh, manufacturing cost down to um, the low 30,000s of dollars. And, and that's obviously all things that we can feed through into um, into cheaper therapies, and, and that is the thing that's going to help us get therapies to more people. Cellular Origins is in a collaboration now with a company called Scale Ready. Is that kind of the primary place that the, the Constellation system is being used at the moment? So, yeah, you're right. We're, we're very fortunate that Scale Ready um, have got a very shared vision to us um, around uh, simplification of manufacturing process, and through that, um, improving the scalability of manufacturing and so um, we're we're really lucky to work with them um, because there is a, a great route that we can take biology developed on things um, like the, the g-rex on things like the lovo and then take that biology to scale one of the things at the heart of what we do is um, uh, is we can take any of those technologies that, that I've just mentioned there um, and, and many others and, and scale those um, those technologies without changing the process. And that's really at the core of what, what Solar Origins um, does. One of the things we noticed um, uh, from talking to customers over a number of years is a great barrier to the industry is that people develop um, uh, cell therapy processes um, and with the best will in the world, and whilst we all talk about the need to think ahead to the final manufacturing volume, 
during the development protests, people are really focused on efficacy, on producing uh, the best therapy, the best cells for the patient. And rightly so. That's there. There is no um, there is no investor in the world and frankly, no patient in the world that's going to thank a cell therapy developer for doing anything other than focusing on the best biology during the development. The issue that creates, though, is by the time that therapy is then through to um, a clinical study, if it's in, for example, um, a G-Rex, is then we need a way to take that not change it, not pivot it onto a new platform, which means delays and risk, but take that directly and take it to commercial. Um, and uh, that's what Solar Origins can enable. We can come together with things like um, like the G-Rex technology and take that fantastic therapy that's been developed in clinical trial and then convert it to high scale, thousands, tens of thousands, maybe one day hundreds of thousands um, to really get that out to patients in large numbers. Great, thanks for explaining that. In addition to automation, I know decentralization is uh, becoming an important concept in, in reducing costs and in getting treatments to patients more quickly and efficiently. Um, can you tell me how robotics like yours can help decentralize the manufacturing of, of cell therapy? Yeah, I mean, so there's, there's two parts to that. Um, one is when you decentralize, you have a big challenge of a, now a distributed labor pool. So even let's imagine a, a situation for a moment, we've got the people to do it, which um, uh, is, is one big challenge. How do you um, uh, ensure that those people are operating in the right way in every single now of all of those facilities that we've now um, got up and running? There's there's perhaps an analogy here to kind of uh, the world we live in now of work from home and some of the challenges we have of, of people working remotely um, and the communications and the barriers that that introduces. That, that's times 10 when you've got this, again, life-saving product that's being manufactured um, in a distributed manner with people um, spread at multiple sites. The ability to do that then automatically without people suddenly opens up that ability to do distributed manufacture. The second piece that's really powerful, though, um, in the way uh, our technology works is it can be installed within something like a modular clean room, um, and that can then be landed at a site. So you can pre-validate uh, that setup before it's even gone near um, uh, the final installation point. And then once delivered, do a final um, uh, confirmation that that system is ready to go. But then you have a fully automated system that's now able to, to manufacture therapies um, remotely. And critically, in exactly the same way you might do in a centralized manner, because um, my expectation is in the future, we will see some um, decentralization. And I think it will be important for certain therapies, but we shouldn't be a slave to it in the same way um, uh, within how I see automation and automate in the right places. I think with distrib um, distributed manufacturing, it's easy to assume that's a silver bullet. But let's look at manufacturing um, in, in the broadest sense for a moment. Typically, manufacturing has gone the other way. Typically, manufacturing is centralized. Um, there are reasons why you might want to manufacture a loaf of bread in a bakery um, uh, for particular reasons. But most bread that you buy will be manufactured in a central factory. The same applies here. I think an awful lot of therapies will still be manufactured in a centralized manner. But in particular cases, I think distribution can open up other options. And do these robotics apply only to allogeneic cell uh, treatment manufacturing? So uh, one of the things that we've been really mindful of in how we've developed our, our solution um, is it's that we don't know where the future is going. Um, I don't think anyone knows whether um, allogeneic is going to be the dominant therapy type, whether it's going to be autologous, or frankly, whether it's going to be something slightly different again. And, and particularly with something like allogeneic, that covers a whole spectrum of different things. There are um, the potential that allogeneic is, is one um, donor to um, tens or hundreds 
but for some therapies we might see one donor to um, thousands or even more and then obviously with um, IPSCs and other forms of, of therapy coming down the line it's, it's a really uncertain future and so it was really core um, I think and frankly, I think for the industry to ensure we've got flexibility in our approaches. And the reason I think that's really important is I think we're at a pivotal point now. I think it would be possible to try and put solutions out there and maybe even be successful, but that narrow down that world of options for um, therapy developers. And I think that'd be a real shame because I think that will push the industry um, uh, in a particular direction um, where the best biology doesn't win. I think it's really important that whatever approach we take, we take the industry in a direction where the best biology can win, where um, the tail is not wagging the dog, so to speak, um, that the manufacturing is enabling scale of the biology, but that we're confident that is the best biology. And that's something with the flexibility we've got in our system, whether it's an autologous therapy, an allogeneic therapy, an IPSC, whether it's vector manufacturing, we can cover that full gamut. We focused initially um, around autologous and allogeneic, but I think in the future, um, we really see the ability to, to remove other labor, reduce variability, and reduce errors in a whole range of biological processes. Can you tell us a little bit, uh, not in too technical terms, but what is it about your uh, robotics that, that that enable it to adapt to changing biology? Yeah, so I, it's, it's down to this um, uh, agnostic approach. We don't develop the, the core technologies, whether it's the bioreactor, the cell separator, um, the editing technology, all of that is developed by um, uh, our partners. Um, and it's the, the tools and technologies that people know and love today. Um, and hopefully um, great new tools and technology in the future. What we do is um, enable the full automated sterile connection of any unit operation to any other unit operation, the fluid transfer between the unit operations, the movement um, of those consumables, and critically, the digital chain of custody between everything that's happened. So all of that, every time a fluid um, is transferred, every time a process is conducted, every time, um, and we might not like to admit that sometimes things go wrong, but every time there's an error, all of that is automatically logged. Um, and so we've got a system that's doing the automated transfer of, of um, physical units, automated transfer of fluids, and um, automated um, uh, registering of the chain of custody that goes around that. It sounds much like um, sterile manufacturing in a, in a compounding pharmacy, for example. Exactly. I mean, I think we've taken a lot of inspiration from other industries that we're not um, ashamed to, to acknowledge. And, and both um, uh, other pharmaceutical industries, you look at lab automation um, and, and where that is now. Um, and even things like um, uh, Amazon warehouses and um, car automations and silicon fab, all of those industries have have really had to automate, all for different reasons. Um, you look at an Amazon warehouse, despite having a much lower cost base in cell therapy manufacturing, because of their low profit margins, they've had to look um, at how they get much more efficient with their use of people. Silicon Fab, because of their requirements for extreme cleanliness, they took the people out and replaced them with robots. Critically, one of the things we've done is, is looked at how they've used mobile robotics, and that's something that's um, unique to us and, and gives us huge advantages in terms of the flexibility of these facilities. If you um, if you look at how uh, modern mobile robotics enables you to move from 
any uh, workstation to any other workstation, enables you to scale processes by adding new capacity anywhere within the facility. Um, it, it's really enabled a transformation from the days when either you had robotic work cells um, uh, once upon a time, or before that conveyor belts where everything was determined to ABCD. I think the move to robot, uh, mobile robotics is, is really powerful um, and will be something that, that the industry can get a lot of benefit from over the coming years. And what about the regulatory aspect of things? How does automation help manufacturers comply with regulatory standards? So I think that for that is something where we're really focused on not changing the process. So there is still a regulatory burden to um, run through a clinical trial, but what we've really tried to do is reduce the risk um, of that. And I think that's where automation can um, play a big role. If, if done well, um, that process should be exactly the same to the, as the manual process and ideally down to variability, we should be operating in a smaller variability window to the manual process. Um, what's really important is the automation doesn't try and move the process to somewhere new. If we start doing that, we're into a whole new revalidation cycle. Um, the other side is the, the traceability piece and that ability for um, uh, therapy manufacturers to finally know um, absolutely what has happened to their, um, their therapy all the way through the manufacturing process. Previously, um, it relied on people both collecting the data and then um, when we spoke about digital before in the cell therapy industry, quite often inputting data into systems. Automation could automatically capture all of that data, which means a, it's much more robust, but it also be much richer um, because a human typically um, uh, you'll try and put the least information that you can from the point of view of qualifying something uh, because it's, it's very manual intensive, it's very expensive. Um, but once you've automated that process, um, Collecting data is pretty much free. And so we've suddenly got a whole lot richer data, which it doesn't apply just at the endpoint um, when we're in the final manufacturing um, in the regulated environment, but hopefully is incredibly valuable to process development and getting better therapies. And there's typically a problem of error reporting amongst humans. They're not they're not the most inclined to report an error they made as well. Absolutely right. And, and it's actually one of the great challenges of automation is finding good data sets um, uh, to give a baseline for, for that. I've seen that before and other things I've developed. Um, because of that, um, people are reluctant to, to give you that data and you can be held to a very high bar. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think uh, as an industry, we should aspire to, to very high bars. But I think, um, yeah, that ability to actually know what your error rate is, that's an incredibly powerful thing to a therapy manufacturer. Not least because it also, for the first time, starts to surface where some of the variabilities that otherwise might have been really hard to tra track down are starting to come from. Um, looking forward into the next five, ten years, where do you see cell and gene manufacturing? What what kind of world will will we be living in? I think I, one thing that excites me is is it's really hard to predict. Um, uh, I mean, is this we've got living medicines? Um, this this most powerful modality in medicine that we've really ever had um, and because of that I think it's really hard to know um, where that's going to be. Um, what will be the dominant modality? Um, what will be the do dominant way of making modifications to cells? Um, what kind of modifications we will even be making? Um, that to me is the exciting thing and that's that's I think really important when, when I'm thinking about uh, what I want to do in this industry um, uh, in terms of automation and engineering is to try and make sure we're not hindering that biological innovation. Um, and so what 
what I think is really important is that wherever the industry goes, that there's a manufacturing solution ready um, to be able to support the scale. That's the problem we should be solving, is getting therapies to scale. Therapy manufacturers, I'm hopeful, will be able to take things in all sorts of directions. And um, I think we're just at the start. We think about cell therapy um, really uh solving largely oncology and particularly blood cancers. Of course, we've now got solid tumours coming very rapidly down the line. We saw sickle cell approvals at the end of last year. Um, but in the future, things like um, cardiac, renal, diabetes, there's a whole gamut of things that um, the cell therapy industry is working on. And I think what's really important is we acknowledge that it's going to be quite hard to predict where things are in five years, let alone 10 years time. So let's make sure we've got solutions that are flexible to that breadth of um, uh, outcomes that we might see in the future. Well, we covered a lot of uh, a lot of ground. Was there anything we missed that you, that you want to touch on? I, so, yeah, I just uh, I think I, as you hopefully uh, can tell, I'm, I'm really, really passionate about this field. And I think what, what's really important is that um, automation is, is a tool for helping patients. And I think the things that we've really um, uh, can start to bring forwards over the years. We've got this, this, this biology that's coming together. Um, I think for us, what we've um, really focused on is having a solution that can firstly get um, therapists to market much quicker. So particularly from that, that clinical phase is making sure that once we get out of the clinical phase, that route to scale, it doesn't require a change in direction, that we can go straight from um, great clinical data through to rapid scaling um, without changing the process. And, and the other piece that I'm really passionate about is that the best biology wins. Um, and so I think uh, we've spoken a lot um, about how um, we don't know where the new, new therapies are coming from, but we do know there's great new technologies, both biological um, and from um, a hardware point of view coming down the line. And so um, really important that we've got solutions that can work with all of those in the future, because that's the thing that's gonna mean that diseases that, that cause problems in the world today, um, Hopefully within five years, certainly 10 years, we're suddenly um, able to, to cure and we're able to, to look and they're very much in our rearview mirror. Well, thanks so much, Edwin, for a fascinating conversation and uh, thanks for joining me today. Thank you. It's been great to talk. For more pharma, biotech and medtech news and insights, visit the InVivo website.